Picture it. Philadelphia, 1793. It had been the capital of the United States for three years at this point, the country's largest city where the best and brightest were gathering to lead the nation in just about every way, politics, finance, technological advances, even the medical wisdom of the day was centered in the city of brotherly love. Dr. Benjamin Rush was the most highly respected physician in the country, and he taught in Philadelphia at the medical school of the University of Pennsylvania. He had signed the Declaration of Independence. He had shown great courage and knowledge in treating wounded veterans. In 1793, when the great yellow fever epidemic hit, everyone looked to Dr. Rush for how to treat it. What do we do? And he believed he knew just what to do. You must immediately bleed and purge the patient. So imagine having yellow fever. I don't know that any of us really even know exactly what that is. But if we do, it includes nausea, headache, jaundiced eyes, hence yellow fever. You're tired, you're achy, and the best doctor there is says, well, we think you'll feel better after a good bleeding. Oh, and here, drink this so that you're completely emptied. It does stink when the cure is worse than the disease. Of course, results of Dr. Rush's methods weren't great. More than 5,000 people died that summer in Philadelphia, almost 10% of the population. You can't really blame Dr. Rush, though. Nobody had any clue where the disease came from or what exactly it was doing to the body, and so treatments were absolute guesses. People thought poisonous vapors from decaying materials was causing the outbreak. They called this phenomenon miasma. That does sound bad, doesn't it? Oh, you've got miasma. Ugh. Another guess was filth may be causing sickness, but, you know, once the wealthy people of the community who lived up in the hills and not so close to the nasty water, once they started getting sick, well, they knew that they weren't as dirty as those river people, so they had to blame something else. So they blamed refugees, whom they thought brought it maybe from somewhere else. And they may actually have been right, but what they didn't know was actually how they were right. Yellow fever is a virus transmitted by mosquitoes. The idea of mosquitoes being the culprit wouldn't come until 1881, and the nature of a virus wouldn't be imagined for another decade after that. 1905 was the last time there was a yellow fever outbreak in the United States. Now we have a vaccine for that. But let's say a variant strain of it got around our vaccinations. And let's pretend you're a resident physician here in La Crosse at one of the finest medical institutions in the world, and this patient comes in because she was scared by her yellow eyes. She assumes she just needs rest, fluids, maybe she should just wait it out, but wanted to make sure, and so she came in. And let's just pretend that your attending physician, because you're a resident, remember, in this scenario, and your attending physician is incredibly good. This person that you're observing reads through her chart and slowly looks up at the patient and says, well, I think you'll feel better after a good bleeding. 
And then imagine this doctor that you're working under turning to you and saying, we need a phlebotomist. Come on, let's go. Oh, and let's get her started on some go lightly right away. A gallon should do it. As the resident in this scenario, how are you feeling about this medical opinion that you're being told to carry out? Are you confused? Are you appalled? Maybe scared? Maybe angry? Or would you simply obey the attending physician because of her authority, despite knowing better yourself? This is how Paul feels as he's writing this letter to the Galatians. Something new has happened to the whole world through the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Something that changes not just the way we think about God or theorize or imagine, The resurrection, Paul knows, is not a theoretical concept that God puts out there in hopes that it will be theoretically believed by sinners like Paul or the Galatians or us. In Jesus, God lives, dies, and then rises from a real death, bodily, not just spiritually, not just in a way. A resurrection happened Mosquitoes do not carry viral disease in a way, or theoretically, or probably. It is scientifically proven that they do. Our greater understanding of viruses affects how yellow fever gets treated in 2021. For Paul, the resurrection changes everything. It brings about a new creation that affects how our lives get lived. And for what? and why we live our lives. Paul believes he has been graced with awareness of the biggest advancement ever known to humankind, to all creation, actually. And when he sees Peter, Cephas, as he's called in Galatians, when he sees Peter in Antioch looking at the human condition and allowing for law obedience, Paul feels like a resident whose attending physician has gone back to the Dark Ages. Paul is appalled. He says, we know that a person is justified, which means made right with God, no more guilt. A person is found not guilty of their sins despite being a sinner. He says, we know that a person is justified, found not guilty, not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. No one will be justified by the works of the law. Come on, Galatians, you know this, he's saying. I taught you, I showed you, and now... After taking this giant step forward in faith, you're going to take two steps back in the law? If justification comes through the law, Paul says, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, for Christ's sake, stop wasting your time spinning your wheels, trying to say the perfect words at the perfect time, dividing ourselves up into who's acting properly Jewish, and how the Gentiles may behave their way into being Jewish enough, the law, the way it works is that it divides us all up based on to whom we are born and where and whether the males of the family are circumcised or not and so much more. The law can never be fully fulfilled. And so the result is that law abiders always fall short. There was a time for the law, Paul is saying, but with the new creation, the law is fulfilled by Jesus, and so the law's time has passed away. It's now time to move on. Now, 
For Christ's sake, live in God's grace, not in the law. But why does Paul care so much? Like, why does he care whether people get it? Why do intellectuals ever fight over ideas? I think a lot of us get intimidated about opinions. Many of us would just rather live outside the fray. You know, can't we all just get along? I mean, come on, Paul. Peter's afraid of the circumcision faction, as it's called in Galatians. I think I might be afraid of the circumcision faction too. That's a very intimidating name. But yeah, Peter fears them, and he just doesn't want to really fight. Is it really that big a deal? Can't we just smooth over some of our intellectual disagreements? If we ignore it, can't it just go away? That's kind of the, the way Peter is navigating these issues. But Paul is not the ignore it and hope it goes away kind of guy. He believes that justification by grace through faith is worth fighting about. It's worth some upset between friends. It's worth a, a scolding letter like Galatians that I'm sure hurts some feelings. It's worth it because when Christians stray from living into a new creation where God unites us and no one has to work their way into God's good graces anymore, when Christians start to create checklists for how to earn salvation, we aren't wasting our time, we're wasting God's time. Remember when I put some words in Paul's mouth saying, for Christ's sake, stop wasting your time spinning your wheels on doing things that serve the temporary things rather than God. Well, the truth of the matter is, according to Paul, we've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. The life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, my life isn't my life. Your life isn't yours. We are freed from having to save ourselves through any actions of our own, which means salvation is not a do-it-yourself thing. Instead of living in fear of doing or saying the wrong things, we get to be so bold as to do whatever we feel called to do to be loving, helpful, kind, faithful. Maybe that means loving your kids. Maybe that means loving your grandkids or your neighbor kids in really thoughtful, nurturing ways. Maybe that means pitching in at church or volunteering at a hospital or at a school or in your neighborhood. See, there's no, like, one right answer. This isn't like following the law where you have to do things exactly that way. We're free to love in creative, maybe even very unique ways unto the gifts you've been given. Maybe your love looks like advocating for some powerless person or group. Maybe it looks like giving your money away to those in need or, or writing to that neighbor kid who found his way into jail. Christians don't do any of these things in hopes of, at the very end of life, hearing we did enough. Whew, we made it into the, the upper places instead of the lower places. The point is Jesus already gave us a ticket up. It's not up, it's with God. We're set. Otherwise, he died for nothing, as Paul says. So, what are the results? The results of vaccines, for example, 
they seem to be a, a great advancement when compared to the results of bleeding and purging. The results of God's work making us justified by grace, the results are gratitude rather than envy, feeling like you have and are enough instead of wanting. The results are peace rather than pain. Paul feels like it's an insult to God who did so much to save us for us to act like we still have to do something to save ourselves. Instead of obeying the law out of obedience, we get to live by faith in the Son of God. We walk by faith. We see the world and all its brokenness through eyes of faith. We parent by faith. We are married by faith. We honor our father and mother. We work. We befriend. We choose our schedules, consume, spend, travel. We use our computers and our phones. We learn. We love by faith, all of it which is a binding, eternal relationship with God through Jesus. For it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Thanks be to God. Amen.